It is a pleasure for me to be here. And for those of you who are visiting and aren't familiar with Rexdale Alliance, Rexdale Alliance Church is a uh, part of a family of churches across Canada called the Christian Missionary Alliance. There's about 435 churches across Canada, and you are one of those precious churches. And our national office, which is where I work, is just over on Highway 27 and just a block north of Finch, very close to here. And so uh, we are very blessed, actually, by Rexdale. And I want to just thank you. Um, You may not know this, but there's a prayer team from this church who has committed to praying for our national office staff. And they come to our building. They pray through our offices. They pray for us on a regular basis, and we are so blessed by that. So on behalf of our staff, I want to thank this church for that ministry to us. I also want to thank you for the, the, the generosity of your support of our work around the world. We have over 250 international workers who work in over 35 countries, and Rexdale is very supportive of the work we call with our Global Advance Fund. So thank you for your part in that. And um, especially I want to thank you for your generosity last December. You contributed a lot of money to the work that we do in Niger. And so this morning I do want to talk specifically about Niger, um, but I want it to be a little microcosm of work that's happening all around the world. Um, We are focusing today on poverty. And um, this morning I want us to learn Um, that we need to respond to people who suffer from all kinds of poverty. And we're going to touch on that. But because God has a great compassionate heart for people who suffer. And he calls his people to respond. Um, Poverty. What is uh, poverty? We often think of it just as economic poverty, don't we? But in order to really understand poverty, uh, we need to actually go back to creation. The first part of the Bible in Genesis 1, 2, 3, where God created the world. See, God created the world that we wouldn't know poverty. And what happened, uh, we we look at the garden and we see this beautiful uh, uh, couple represented of Adam and Eve, and they knew no shame. Represented by the fact that they were naked in the garden. There was no shame with one another. There was intimacy with God. There was plenty. Their needs were met. Mind, body, soul. Perfect. And that's how God created this world. But sin entered the world and broke it. And there's all kinds of poverty. I think poverty, the main reason that we have poverty in this world is because of sin. But there's all kinds of poverty. First and foremost, there's a poverty of of relationship. Again, sin entered the world and broke that intimacy with God. Broke our relationship with God. It also broke our relationship with one another. Didn't it? It it broke our um, uh, condition. Uh, That's the economic need, right? We have great great need. Um, There's hunger. there's, uh, there's, There's pain and there's sorrow and there's sickness and there's suffering. That's a broken condition. There's brokenness of being. With the fall and with sin, something happened in this world that people were valued less than one another. That happened between man and woman. 
Maybe it's the color of skin, but there's a brokenness of being, the value that every individual has. There's a brokenness of purpose. God designed it. Even in the garden, God designed us to be, to be productive and to work, to have joy. And that was broken. There's all kinds of poverty. I want to take you to Niger and explain how some of these things are a reality in culture. This is a woman I met a number of years ago. And her reality is the fact she's never received one day of education. She's illiterate. In fact, she doesn't even have documentation that she's a citizen in the country. (laughs) She has no access to uh, water. Maybe the closest uh, uh, source for her is about three kilometers away. Imagine she gets up before dawn and she walks three kilometers with a group of women to go get water. How many of you turned on your tap this morning and brushed your teeth? I hope it's everyone, otherwise you might want to move down. No access to clean water. She lives in a culture where the goats and the cows are more valuable to her husband than she is. That's brokenness. That's a broken worldview. She also has uh, the reality that her child will not, may not live to reach the age of five. Because one in five children in that culture will die from preventable diseases like malaria or just diarrhea. I often say to churches, if you knew that one in five children in your nursery was going to die from a preventable disease, wouldn't you do everything you could to prevent that? So why is it any different with our international workers? We go to a country and a culture where this is a reality. Why wouldn't we want to invest in training people how to prevent that? Broken worldview. The reality, too, is that her daughter will probably be sold into a marriage by the time she's 12 or 13, 14 years old to a man with multiple wives, because that's the culture, polygamy. Too young to even bear children. So one in ten women in that culture will die from childbirth because they're married off so young. That's broken. That's poverty in all different ways, not just economic. I visit people like this, and I go back to my comfortable lodgings at night, and my heart breaks. We weep, don't we, Lisa? (laughs) And I think, God, where are you? You're a loving God, compassionate. Your word says that you hear the cries of the suffering. Where are you? And as I go to the word, I realize that God says, I've called my people to respond. It's easy for us to respond from emotion. I can show you pictures. You can give. But, you know, the people of God, if we don't understand a theological and biblical rationale for compassion and justice and understand God's call on us to be active in administering compassion and justice, then we will experience Cynicism, maybe, or compassion fatigue after a while. So this morning I want us to look at some key uh, passages of scripture that teach us that this is a very important thing to God. That his people 
live out lives that serve people who suffer vulnerabilities of poverty, of, of oppression, and injustice. One of those key passages that I love to go to, well, first of all, actually, let me define compassion, justice. Because some people say, well, is justice just about legal stuff, being an advocate? So let me define them like this. I feel, I, don't, I think Nahum described compassion last week, right? Well, I'm going to give you another definition of compassion. It's a strong feeling of sympathy and sadness for the suffering of others. But it doesn't stop with a feeling. It's like this gut reaction. True compassion compels you to do something about it. Not just feel sorry. True compassion is action. You're moved. And we're moved because God is moved. And he stirs us to respond. So what is justice? I like to define justice by first defining injustice. Injustice is this. It's people with power abusing people without power. And injustice can happen in a home. It can happen in a church. It can happen in a city. It can happen in a country. It can happen in a culture. It's people with power abusing people without power. So justice, on the other hand, I like to define this way. Ensuring that all people are treated with dignity and fairness. Why? Because every single individual was created and and is loved by God. They are valuable. So valuable to God that yes, we've sung about and already acknowledged that Jesus has died for everyone and wants to see wholeness and restoration and healing in every individual. So we treat everyone we meet with dignity. That's instilling justice. So let's look at some of these passages. My favorite one is in Isaiah, chapter 58. And Isaiah is a prophet. He speaks the words of God to the people of God. And the, chapter 58, when we come to this passage, it's a very familiar passage to us if you've been in the church for very long. It's actually the context of the people of God are entering into a time of fasting and worship and religious activity because they want to know the presence of God. They want to hear God speak. They want to know God's presence. And so they're going through religious motion and activity. But God, on behalf, through the, the prophet Isaiah, says this. Is this not the kind of fasting or spirituality, that I have chosen. To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, and when you see the naked, to clothe him, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Isaiah goes on to say, if you do these things, The presence and the power of God will be so powerful in your midst that anyone who comes into your gathering, into your midst, will know the healing and wholeness and power of God.
Three chapters later, in Isaiah 61, there's a prophecy about a time when a Savior will come and restore what was broken. And Isaiah 61 is actually the words that Jesus speaks about why he has come. And he he reads from the scroll of Isaiah, we see it in Luke chapter 4. When he starts his public ministry, he reads from the scroll of Isaiah these words that were predicted about him. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus rolls up the scroll and he says, today this is fulfilled in your midst. Jesus is saying, this is what I have come to do. To restore and redeem what was broken by sin. Spiritually, yes. But it goes so much beyond just the spiritual redemption of our relationship with God. Jesus, we know in his public ministry, healed physically. He dignified those that were marginalized. He was setting the oppressed free. The people in his midst that were hearing this word spoke, when they heard that phrase, to, I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Do you know what they knew exactly what Jesus was talking about? That was exactly what Jesus was talking about, was the year of Jubilee. And in the Old Testament law, God had put down for his people what he wanted them to function like. Once every 50 years, the year of Jubilee, if you were a slave, you were set free. If you had debt, it was wiped clean. (laughs) And I don't know about you, but how many of you have a mortgage or credit card debt? (laughs) Don't you wish we still practiced the year of Jubilee? (laughs) Gone. Jesus was coming to instill a whole new way to function. And we saw in the early church that no one had need in the early church. They sold things so that they could care for one another's needs. That was the sign of the kingdom of God. A whole new way of living and functioning. When the widows were, that were being ignored, that were hungry, the church actually put in place a ministry that would feed the widows because in the midst and the, within the people of God, there was not to be a need among them. They need to care for the hungry, the widow. That's the economy of God. That's the kingdom of God. He calls us to a whole new way of living. One day, an expert of the law came to Jesus. And he said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you're the expert of the law. You tell me. And the expert of the law says, well, we know. It's found in Luke 10. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you're correct. Bing, 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 bing. (laughs) Wouldn't that be awesome to have Jesus ask you a question and you knew the answer? (laughs) You are correct. And almost to justify himself, the expert of the law says, well, Jesus, who's my neighbor? Is it just the one that's, you know, that I like? (laughs) Same economic bracket, lives in my neighborhood. (laughs) 
Who is my neighbor? And that's where Jesus goes to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. You know the story of the Good Samaritan? A man is walking along the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. He's jumped by thieves. He's beaten, ripped off his clothes. He's laying naked, left to die on the side of the road. And Jesus goes on to say, the priest walks by. Sunder Christian walks by. <laughs> Does nothing. Sorry, Sunder. <laughs> a Levite walks by, a teacher of the law. He does nothing. Teacher of the law, he knows the law to care for those that suffer. Jesus says, a good Samaritan, a man walks, a Samaritan walks by, he sees the man left dead, dying. He bandages up the wounds. He puts him on his donkey, takes him to an inn, gives money to the innkeeper. He says, you take care of him till he is well. I will come back and I will pay you more money if you've had to have any more expenses. I like to call this the Good Samaritan principle. Jesus is teaching a principle here. See, the, the, the Samaritan had had nothing to do with the fact that that man was left dying on the road. But at personal inconvenience, personal maybe danger, who knows if the robbers are still there, and at personal cost, he cares for the needs. Personal inconvenience, personal danger, personal cost. I'm sure he was on his way somewhere. <laughs> Honey, I'll be home late for dinner. <laughs> I have something that God has put in my path that I need to take care of. And remember the context of this question. Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Far too long in our evangelical churches, we've said, well, pray the sinner's prayer. <laughs> Come to church on Sunday. Read your Bible. That's a good Christian. There's two sides. Faith without deeds is dead. And Jesus is calling us to live a whole different way here. One time I stumbled on a verse in the Old Testament that really challenged me about my response to the poor and how I live my own life. I don't usually do my devotions in Ezekiel. <laughs> But it's a powerful verse I want to share with you. It's the last scripture we look at this morning. It's very challenging. I'm going to warn you right now, a little disclaimer. You might feel a little uncomfortable. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49 says this. Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me, therefore I did away with them as you have seen. Now I grew up in the church. I was always taught that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, when God destroyed the city, was because of the sexual sins. Now, this verse of scripture is teaching us that there were deeper, deep-rooted systemic sins in the lives of people in Sodom and Gomorrah that the outworking were the sexual sins. 
but deep-rooted in their lives were these sins. Arrogance, self-indulgence, and indifference to the poor. When these sins take root in our lives, what happens is we lose a sense of compassion for individual people. So we use and abuse me first. I'll do what I want. Sins of arrogance, self-indulgence, and lack of care for the poor. When I read these verses, I'm convicted every day. Every single day. I think this is one of the reasons that God calls us to serve others. To care for those that suffer. To come alongside those that experience injustice. Because as we serve others, what happens is it's an antidote to these sins of arrogance, self-indulgence, and indifference. So as we begin to serve people and rub shoulders with those that have great need, what happens is instead of arrogance, we cultivate humility in our life. As we serve people, instead of self-indulgence, we cultivate generosity in our life. And instead of apathy or indifference, we cultivate sensitivity. We want to become more aware. I try and practice this in my own life. I serve at a mission in downtown Hamilton. We live in Ancaster. And in that um, street mission, that one section has free clothing, the other is uh, coffee, muffins. They have programs that run there through the week. One Saturday morning, a couple months ago, this woman came running in. I was on the clothing side. She was in a little nightshirt. She had fled her apartment. Her, her uh, boyfriend, or pimp, was beating her. And she ran in there. I need some clothes. I spent the morning with her, hearing her story, getting her dressed in an outfit, trying to get her to a safe place. When I went home that night, <laughs> I was so grateful for my safe home, my family, my husband. It just cultivates sensitivity and humility. And boy, did I ever want to give her, <laughs> give her things that she didn't have. So how do we apply these things? There's a personal application, yes. And just let the Spirit of God lead you into what that personal application is. Are you in a position of authority and power over people? Your child, your wife, your employees. Treat them with dignity. We pass street people all the time in this city. Look them in the eye. Bless them. Become aware. Aware of ministries. I spoke to one woman 
downtown, at a refugee uh, home, a safe place here in Toronto. She said, I go to churches and I speak about the refugee home. People give money. <laughs> the hardest thing for her to get is volunteers. Inconvenience of time. <laughs> Look for places where you could volunteer. But I want to spend a few moments this morning as we close telling you about what the denomination is doing. Because the Alliance has wrestled with this, with our understanding of the gospel. And as we're church planting overseas, what kind of churches are we seeing raised? Are they caring for the needs of the poor? So I take you back to Niger. First of all, oh, let me just say this. I should look at my notes. (laughs) Dave Collins, he was one of the first uh, uh, Canadian directors of Food for the Hungry uh, in Canada. And he said this to me one time. When we are serving with an others-centered focus, we are being transformed. We may need the poor more than they need us. Isn't that profound? We may need the poor more than they need us. Keeps us grounded. (laughs) Keeps us thankful. So we as a denomination have wrestled with this. What are we doing? And so again, I take you to Niger, and I want to thank you again for your, your huge generosity last December. So some of the things we're doing in Niger, again, remember one in five children dying from malaria. So we are involved in mosquito net distribution. And we don't just give them out. They might cost us about $10. We sell them for 25 cents. But it dignifies the man who can go and purchase a net for his family and care for his family. And we're seeing many, um, the cases of malaria going down in those villages where they're using these nets. We want to be very holistic and correct broken worldview in our ministry. And so one of the things, as an example, for the mosquitoes, the the malaria nets, our international worker, Lisa Rourke, said, well, what what truth can we teach through the mosquito net distribution? Well, the mosquitoes come in the rainy season, and in the rainy season comes the rainbow. And in the culture where we're working, the people group that we're working with, the Fulani, they believe that the rainbow is a serpent in the sky that comes and sucks up all the rain and causes drought. It's a broken worldview. So Lisa taught the story of the rainbow, Noah and the ark, and God's faithfulness to never destroy the earth by flood again. The symbol of God's faithfulness. One of the leaders in the village, he said to Lisa, this is Lisa here, he said, and this is how it translates into English, which I love, This story is like sweetness to my stomach. I want to eat until I'm full. (laughs) Why have we not heard this story before? And so Lisa was invited by village leaders to come back on a weekly basis. And she's had the privilege of teaching through Genesis to Revelation, teaching truth to these men. Some have chosen to follow Jesus. Just last week, Lisa sent a message that one of these men who is an imam, 
he said, I think I want to follow the Jesus road, but I need to go ask my friend if I can. <laughs> They're on this journey towards truth and reconciliation with God and with correcting this worldview that has been broken. Children, this last month, meningitis broke out in Niger. And so we were able to run uh, vaccinations. And I want to tell this story because after the video last uh, December, a lady from your church contacted me and she said, there's a few of us that knit little bears. Could you use some? I was like, well, I, sure. <laughs> I'll check with Niger. <laughs> and Dr. H. Chung said, sure, well, we can use these bears. So a short-term team just took them a few weeks ago. And... The timing was perfect because these vaccinations, these little kids would get little pokes and they'd start to cry. <laughs> and then they'd get a bear <laughs> and the tears turned to smiles. So the timing was so perfect. And again, your church has blessed us with this and been a part of this ministry in Niger. Community health education is a huge need there. Again, correcting broken worldview or the fact that many aren't educated. And so these men are all different village leaders from multiple villages around an area where we work in, in there. And they're learning, the day I was here taking this picture, they were learning about the common cold. They believed if this was, the spirits, bad stuff was coming out of you, it was a spiritual, like a spirit thing, broken worldview. And so we're teaching them how to treat and how to prevent the spread of the common cold. Water. About 50 different villages throughout Niger have received wells, and so we're continuing another right now. We're starting a whole new uh, initiative to bring more villages water uh, by, by helping them dig a well. One of the neat things about the child bride issue is we started the Niger Vocational Training School for girls between the ages of 12 and 18. If they join this program, the dads have to sign a contract that they will not marry off their daughter until they're finished the three-year program. And they're learning so many wonderful things, literacy, um, health, education. They're learning that they are more valuable than cows and sheep. <laughs> that God loves them. God has created them for relationship. They are so valuable. One woman, one young girl said, I didn't think I had the capacity to learn. <laughs> it's a broken worldview. They learned to sew. They learned to knit. Uh, just last month, they uh, learned batik, the dyeing uh, patterns on fabric. And when the girls graduate, they get to keep their sewing machine. And we're doing some village savings and loans with them. And they're learning to, uh, to start little businesses. We've also started a men's training center with Paul MacGyver, one of our workers there. Uh, again, most of these, the culture where we're working, they were pastoralists. They were shepherds of sheep and cows. So they've never learned the trades of, you know, woodworking and carpentry and welding. So we've started a training school for men. And, of course, the most important thing in these, in these initiatives is relationship. Is building relationships and helping, helping these people to understand that God deeply loves them. We started some school initiatives. In this particular village, 54 children in this village had never had one day of education. So about a year and a half ago, we started a class, and even the girls, whoops, the girls are learning. And um, it's 
It's just been a thrill to, be, to see these things come about. One of the major things that you raise money for is our food programming. And we work in Niger through our, our partner in Niger, in Samaritan's Purse, uh, in agricultural training. Again, remember, they were, many of them were pastoralists, so they, they've never learned how to grow food. And so to help with this, they, there's over 31 villages with uh, thousands of people involved in these programs that we're, we're um, supporting with our, our food aid account at the Canadian Food Grains Bank. We're members of the Canadian Food Grains Bank. So the government, Canadian government, matches the money that you have given, and we are able to fund these agricultural training programs. And so people are learning how to grow food. They've never grown food before. And they were so proud of their gardens when we went to visit them. Uh, their, their grain that they eat is millet or sorghum. They don't eat wheat there. It's grain. It, it tastes awful to me. <laughs> but I don't want to be arrogant. <laughs> it's just different than, than what I'm used to. But um, this gentleman was just beaming as he showed, uh, had told us, showed us his gardens and told us about how their crops, learning this new um, conservation agriculture, ways of growing their food, that it's producing way more. And he was so thankful. Um, this woman, again, women are growing onions, taking them to the market. Um, again, a, a way of, of income for them. Um, this story is so, so sweet. We've been teaching uh, mothers to breastfeed only for the first six months. They think because it's so hot, they need to give their, their babies water as well. Well, of course, that causes the diarrhea, and many of them will die from that. So we've taught this, you know, breastfeeding only for the first six months. And this lady was so pleased to show me that she's been practicing just breastfeeding for her baby. And I asked through the translator, so are you, is it working? And she held up her baby. She goes, see for yourself <laughs> how punchy her cheeks were. <laughs> and other pregnant women in the village said to me, we're going to do the same thing because we see it works for her. So it's, again, just training, uh, teaching a proper worldview that God has created you and, and motherhood. And we're also doing what village savings and loans. And in this program, you don't loan external Western money. You create savings groups. They save their own money and they, they loan to each other. It's sustainable. It's reproducible. Uh, just a wonderful way. And they're building trust in their communities. And it's just really a great way to do training and, uh, and it's just wonderful in these communities. So I was able to, they made these mats to thank the Canadian donors. So this is thank you. If you want to see the mat, come by my office, touch it, feel it, you know. But anyway, on behalf of them, they, they just said thank you for investing in the training because it's making a world of difference to them. I, I close with this picture because our team in Niger is in a very risky place. Um, when they go out to certain parts of Niger, they need the National Guard to secure them. Because of Al-Qaeda and uh, Boko Haram, the, the, the terrorist groups, they want to kidnap aid workers. They want to kidnap foreigners for ransom. And so, of course, when we were uh, there, we got these National Guards. Uh, quick story, our two mission vehicles, one of, them, uh, one of the vehicles got a flat tire. And so we all jumped out, and these National Guard guys jumped out of the back of their truck, caught their, they have these machine guns, put their backs to us in a big circle, <laughs> and held their guns up while they were changing our tire. I mean, I felt like Angelina Jolie. <laughs> but 
I, I show this picture just to ask you to pray for our workers. Uh, because there always is that risk of being a foreigner in Niger uh, with the terrorist activity that does happen there. Um, so it is risky. Um, so we just covet your prayers. And again, I just want to thank you so much uh, for the fact that you have invested in these people in Niger. And I wish I could take you all there <laughs> and let you see what a difference it is making. But as we close our time this morning, let me just lead us in a word of prayer and invite the Spirit of God to um, just lead us into a response this morning. God, we have, um, we have heard in your word this morning. We have heard from you, your heart for the broken, your call on your church to respond. And so, Lord, this morning, as we uh, just take a few moments to pause, Spirit of God, would you just speak? Would you convict those of us, myself included, who need to apply your word this morning? Would you call, Lord, call us, move us to respond, to implement that Good Samaritan principle in our life, that we would give up time and funds and risk ourselves to serve you where you call us to serve. Speak, Lord Jesus, in these moments. Hear our prayers. Amen. This benediction is actually from an early church father from hundreds of years ago. So things have not changed. <laughs> Rexdale Alliance, may God bless you with discomfort and easy answers, half-truths and superficial relationships, so that you may seek truth boldly and live deep within your heart. Rexdale Alliance, may God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people, so that you may tirelessly work for justice, freedom, and peace among all people. Rexdale Alliance, may God bless you with the gift of tears to shed for those who suffer pain, rejection, hunger, and war, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and turn their pain into joy. Rexdale Alliance, may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you really can make a difference in the world, so that you are able with God's grace to do what others claim cannot be done. And may the blessing of God the Supreme Majesty and our Creator, Jesus Christ, the Incarnate Word, who is our brother and Savior, and the Holy Spirit, our Advocate and our Guide, be with you and remain with you this day and forevermore. Amen.